Critical Friends, the Strange Horizons SFF Criticism Podcast. I'm Aisha Subramanian. And I'm Dan Hartland. In every episode of Critical Friends, we'll be discussing SFF reviewing, what it is, why we do it, how it's going. In this episode, we're talking about books that make us work. What happens when we don't at first like a text? How do we test our initial reaction to get a fuller understanding of it? How does an author, how can an author win our trust? How should we approach a text in order to find it on its own terms? And should we even try? We began by talking about where to start with a text and by trying to talk over the builders next door. Um, Sorry, everyone. That's my next door. ask a question are you a throw the book across a room person no don't have emotions that are that strong (laughs) i have no emotions neither do i i have no emotions either um but no i've never thrown a book across the room in anger um i do have a rule that i try to have a rule that i finish a book if i start it even if i'm not enjoying it or feel somehow that it isn't achieving what it should i must say that this rule although i don't throw books i do vocalize against them so if i'm reading a book that and i'm gonna finish this book and i'm not enjoying it i do tend to narrate my experience (laughs) out loud and the people in the room with me often complain then about my rule about not finishing books yeah Um, that is fair (laughs) but i don't i i finish the book i insist on even if it's not working I keep going with it. Is that? Do you do that, or do you do you give up more sensibly? I am fundamentally than me? a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, at what point would you quit? Because I feel like we're having this conversation about when do you let a, a book make you work for it, and when do you give up? But I never give up. I just keep going. So, when do you give up? That sounds really unhealthy. But um, no. So, I think it depends for me what level of commitment uh, is involved. So if I've committed to review a set of books for some reason, um, I will probably power through them, even if I don't like them. Um, And then I will have to do the work of trying to understand how they work, why they're worth reading, etc., whether or not I actually enjoy the experience. Um, If it's just for my own personal enjoyment if if it's just um oh this looks interesting or a friend recommended this or well any of the normal reasons that people read books then if it's not grabbing me by um quite early on i will either put it aside to try it later or i'll just put it aside i think for me it would have to be there'd have to be quite a high level of I am really, really, really not enjoying this. If I was actually committed to something and ended up not finishing it. Um, It's definitely happened a couple of times. I've definitely had times when I've had to give up on a review because I just cannot get into this book no no matter how much I try. But that's quite rare. So what is this process then by which... As I'm reading a book that I'm not enjoying, but insisting on finishing it because I'm, I, I agree, unhealthy. Um, and as you are maybe putting the book aside and maybe coming back to it or reviewing it later, 
and we're trying to figure out okay we didn't enjoy this experience or this book didn't immediately grab us or there are things about it which we were surprised by in an unpleasant way (laughs) what is the process of figuring out whether that initial reaction that we've had is the right one right as as reviewers or critics or just people trying to understand their experience of a book how do we think ourselves outside of our initial reaction what it, what what does that process look like for, for you how do you think your way into a book that initially you might not want to um so for me i think a big part of it is okay obviously i don't like this um or at least my initial response to this is one of dislike but clearly this exists um it was written this way so presumably some choices have been made and presumably there were reasons behind those choices so what is this doing what do these choices that i dislike allow this book maybe to do and that that isn't necessarily going to mitigate the dislike um, sometimes it does. Sometimes my reaction is going to be, okay, I still dislike this, but at least I understand why it is the way it is. So I'm thinking of um, a book that we have spoken about on this show, A Stranger in a Laundria, which when I first read it, I'm not, I didn't bounce off it, but I really had to at first work to get into the way in which it was telling its story. And The way I did that was, I guess, try to imagine things from the book's perspective. That is, meet the book halfway and then kind of cross over into its territory. I think that's what the reader is trying to do when they engage with a book. But if I hadn't done that imaginative work, I can imagine it would have gone in the maybe try again later pile, which I do not have because I am unhealthy. In general, having a sense of where the book is coming from, who's writing it, what kinds of traditions they're writing into, what kinds of styles they're writing with, that can be a useful way in. It's not always entirely useful because, again, there can be things about those choices that I fundamentally dislike. But at least that way, I have a sense of what this object is and what it is trying to achieve, um, which I realise means that I'm speaking about the book as if it had agency. Um, and obviously it doesn't. But um, presumably the author had some agency. And presumably these choices were choices. There was intent and art, hopefully. Of course, sometimes there isn't. And we, <laughs> we, 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 I suppose as readers have to be open to the idea and maybe with my rule of always finishing a book, I'm not sufficiently open to the idea that sometimes the book, maybe it did make choices, but they were the wrong ones. You know, maybe our initial reaction is correct, but we spoke about those kinds of books with, with Abigail. So I'm really interested in this, yeah, this process of, of, of figuring a book out um, at the moment, I'm 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 working with some of our reviewers on a a roundtable on the novel Goliath, which will be available uh, as a tier on the Stranger Horizons Fund Drive. So there you go. There's there's some motivation, everyone. Um, and it's an excellent discussion, and it revolves around this because Goliath, and we've reviewed the book before, so people can go and 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 read the review. Um, Goliath is a book which kind of challenges its readers to, to to meet it. And what you're talking about, 
Aisha, it seems to me, is this idea that the author and the reader are in a, a kind of dialogue where they have to meet and the the reader needs to kind of trust the author at some point and try and figure out what they were trying to do rather than necessarily the initial effect that the reader is experiencing. Yeah, and I think, as you say, sometimes the author possibly isn't worthy of that trust. Um <laughs> There, it, it is possible for an author to write a terrible book um, that is objectively terrible, where either no choices were actually made with any particular level of um, meaning, or the choices that were made were actually all the wrong ones. But on the whole, um, I like to assume that if I'm reading something, um, some thought has gone into it at some point um, and some thought by a reasonably um, reliable person whose judgment can be not necessarily agreed with, but respected. It's a nice thought, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I wonder whether we could think about how how that that happens, how we sift through the authors that deserve our trust, even though they're kind of not trying to win it. They're, they're not pandering to the reader. They are asking for some investment, some work, some effort from the reader. Um, almost deliberately, in some cases, they will try to alienate the reader. Um, and those authors that aren't doing that in as thoughtful a way, is there is there an example of a book that you know you've read recently or that I've read recently that sort of felt at first as if it was doing something that we didn't expect of that book or didn't want to necessarily experience, but which proved in the reading and in the working to have virtue? Okay, I think you're going to need to come up with examples here because everything I've read recently has been great. Um, <laughs> but it's also been great in ways that I thoroughly expected. <laughs> See, that's interesting because I do think, and we've spoken about before, that to some extent, genre literature is or can be a literature of comfort, right? So one of the things yeah. that people come to for uh, from genre literature is the familiar. This might seem a counterintuitive thing to say about um, science fiction, which people often say is the literature of estrangement. But I think in reality, sometimes people just want to read about cool starships. And that's okay, that level of comfort. But sometimes books don't want to give you that. For example, I recently read Expect Me Tomorrow by Christopher Priest. This it was his book from last year, which is a very priesty book. There are twins and there are parallel <laughs> Uh, timelines and um, there is a, a sort of a, a clarity of prose which also somehow doesn't offer clarity by which I mean a, a sort of very finely wrought prose which kind of doesn't sometimes tell you anything about how the characters are actually feeling and all of that is very priestian and very very deliberate and we know it's deliberate yeah. because we've read priest novels before and they all do yeah. the same thing <laughs> Yeah, if you like priest, you will love this priest. <laughs> exactly. And so some of the things that are alienating about a priest novel are not alienating if you are aware of, of priest, because you come to that with those expectations. They're not expectations that you would necessarily go to other books with. Um, but Expect Me Tomorrow has also a, 
a climate change uh, theme whereby one of the characters um, discovers that if all the glaciers melt, um, they will be cold in the water and that will lower global temperatures. And that's a different problem to have, but essentially we won't be hot anymore. Uh, and I'm I'm deliberately uh, simplifying what happens, but essentially that is the the thing, and that feels in 2023, or felt to me in 2023, like like a, an uncomfortable thing for a novel to be to be doing because um, I mean hope punk is is great and all that, but at the same time, um, I kind of don't want to let us off the hook in that way by a essentially a a magical glacier doing the work for us. Um, and so I, I kind of bounced off the book a little bit because almost because of its, I hate to say this, but almost because of its its politics more than its its prose. But as you read through the book and try and figure out why it is doing this, I think I think a project does emerge. You might disagree with the project, but it's not that the book hasn't put thought into it and it's not that there isn't a, a perspective by which you can you can defend the project as a kind of artistic one if not as a, a sort of climatological one and that did make me think because i did have to sit with the book for a while and imagine <laughs> imagine why christopher priest had done this <laughs> but the the difficulty there is we're second guessing someone that we can't talk to, right? So the, we're always, we're talking about trying to check whether the author has put thought into this. But how do you do that? Because you can't ring the author up, or maybe in some cases you can, but you can't call the author up on the phone and say, hey, why did you do this? What are the tools that we apply to figure out why the glaciers are melting in this novel? Well, one of them is the one that you already mentioned, which is, to some extent, we know what this book is because we've read a lot of other Christopher Priest books. <laughs> yeah. um, and that also, it also gives you a kind of um, shield against certain things. So if you said that one of the things that initially got you was the politics of it. Mm. But again, you've read a lot of priests. So there's a certain perhaps willingness that you have to um to hear him out you're right so a pre-existing relationship with an author will mean that we are more willing to sort of give them time or space to, to develop the idea and see if we still feel the same about it once it's been further developed for us How does that work for an author that we haven't read before? So if, if if it hadn't been a Christopher Priest book, if it had been by an author, it would have been a debut novel that had the same plot and mechanism, how would I have figured out in the same way what it was up to? You certainly wouldn't have figured out figured it out in the same way. I think mm. we can um we can probably establish that. Um I think so. The uncomfortable answer is maybe you wouldn't have. Yeah. Because, yeah, criticism is, it's not an exact art. Um, and you are bringing what you know and your own personal 
baggage and your own personal biases to any kind of encounter with a text. Um, I think, though, that maybe you could also be thinking about what, even if you don't know this author, um, are there things about the way this book is written that remind you of other things that give you that kind of that sense of familiarity that maybe allows you to hear this person out? Um, are there things that you know about this publisher that maybe give you that sense of trust? And sometimes, obviously, the answer is there are none of those things. But I don't <laughs> think it's quite rare, I think, especially now for people that you and I end up getting so much marketing material in our inbox <laughs> for one thing um and the internet exists and it's very hard to be completely aware of it i don't think any of us ever goes into a new book with completely no knowledge so yeah. maybe some of that knowledge ends up being at least part of what you use to try and make sense of, of what's making you uncomfortable yeah it's a really good point that a lot of the tools or knowledges that we're going to bring to a book in order to understand it are contextual that the, the clues aren't necessarily in the text itself i i was thinking about um as you were speaking i was thinking about reading uh, the past is red uh, by by catherine mm -hmm. valendi which I, I did sort of late last year i think and i really enjoyed it actually um but there was a a structural issue because the book is a what we would once have called maybe we still call them a fix-up so um it has a previously published bit and then it has a bit that has been tacked on to the previously published bit and the join really shows but i was expecting it and because i knew the story of the book and so it didn't disrupt my reading in the way that a a sort of a, a, an irregular structure would have done in a book that I didn't know that about or indeed did not have that quote unquote excuse. Yeah. No, I think it's possible and if you were um if you were inclined to be generous in your reading, you would probably have thought that was an interesting structural choice. Um maybe a deliberate one if you didn't already have that information but that would be those would be in-text clues wouldn't they if we didn't have the context we would try and find clues for why this structural choice had been made in the text itself maybe in the story it was telling or the experience of the characters in the book and you might find some yeah so what book recently have you what, what books recently have you been reading that were great that required no work whatsoever in order to get along with so I'm currently reading um, Yuri Herrera's Ten Planets, ah. which, incidentally, so good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm assuming at some point we will be carrying a review of it, and I'm also assuming that at some point we'll both be yelling about it somewhere. But um, again, this is this is one of those things where I went into a book knowing that I was going to love it, mm -hmm. um, that this is an author who I have... Uh, an immense amount of trust and respect for. That um, this is a translator that I have an immense amount of trust and respect for. So it was very much a situation where I was fully prepared to love it. And um, the result is that I have fully loved it. Now, 
would I have felt this enthused by it if I didn't already think that this writer was great? I'm not sure. Probably, I, I think I would probably still really like it. I think it's really good. But I think that this works with enthusiasm as well as with dislike, doesn't it? That we, we are prepared to see greatness and we're prepared to see um, brilliant choices being made when we know that something is like what we have loved before and when we know that this is something that we are expecting to love yeah and there's this there's this currently in vogue style of of, of criticism where critics read books in uh, explicitly embedded in their daily life right so they they talk about reading an author alongside all their other things like bringing up the kids or making the meals or, or going on vacation or whatever, which I think can be overdone. But it's interesting because I completely agree that sometimes when we read a book, we're reading a lot of other books at the same time. I'm not sure if you mean that literally or not, because the, because it's true both ways. <laughs> it is true both ways. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, my 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 uh, book piles would attest to this. No, what I mean is like a even when we read a specific uh, book, we are reading a specific book at a specific point. It is evoking in us responses based at least in part on all the other books that we have read before. And that this helps inform the level of effort that we are willing to make with this particular book. And indeed, the level of effort we're able to make. I think that might be a conversation worth having. You know, like some sometimes a reader, for whatever reason, isn't able to give the time, space or effort to a novel that it seems to be requiring of them. And again, that's one of the reasons why I sometimes drop a book and say I'm going to pick it up later um, and I think that's true of probably most people yeah I think so and I think that obviously uh, well I don't know I, about I, you obviously no uh, well my rule about not finishing a book doesn't mean that I have to finish it quickly <laughs> it, I, I, I find ways to bend the rule we think then that to refer back to our conversation with Abigail about negative reviews there is a point isn't there where we decide that this book is not good that however much work we put in it's not going to reward our effort what does that reward look like like how do we decide that we are not being sufficiently rewarded for reading a book so for me I think that's basically the moment where you sort of go oh okay so that's what this is doing or that's why this matters. Yes. And if the answer to the question, what is this book doing, emerges and we don't like it, we just go, no, and move on. Yeah. and But even that no can be a, OK, I can see what this is doing now and I can see why this author maybe thought it was worth doing this. But I don't agree that it was worth doing. And I, I wonder whether... I mean, sometimes because there are such things we're talking about, sort of the context in which a, a book is written helps us to to reach that point of, OK, this is what this particular text is is up to. I mean, there are such things as literary trends, right? So there are moments mm -hmm. where uh, a lot of books try to do a particular thing. And that can be difficult if that thing isn't for you. It must be it's 20, 30 years ago now. There was a real vogue for the big book. And I'm thinking sort of. Crimson Petal and the White or Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which were huge things with 
footnotes or dramatis personae or just lots of pages. And what's interesting about that is that since then and before then, uh, both of those authors, Michelle Faber and uh, Susanna Clarke, have written really beautifully wrought slim books as well. So yep. uh, I mean, Piranesi is Susanna Clarke's recent novel is is just awesome. And the authors prove that they can do both, which again speaks to intent, right? That they have chosen to write this big book. It's not that they, <laughs> Dickens-like, kind of just wrote a lot of episodes until they ran out of time or space or commissioning editors. And just it, it got bigger and bigger over time because they hadn't planned it. They had planned it to be large in the first place, partly because that was a trend, maybe not even consciously because it was a trend. They're part of a cultural moment. Partly, presumably, because there are stories that benefit from that kind of telling. I mean, sometimes there are and sometimes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm personally not a huge fan of the big book, but in theory... I mean, I'm I'm looking at a big book. Uh, I've just cast my eye over to uh, my bookshelf and I'm looking at a big book now, which is The Overstory by Richard Power, yeah. which didn't work for me as well as his more recent very slim book. But The Overstory could not have been told without being a big book. The the the, yeah. the sort of expansiveness of it is, is part of the point. And that comes back, of course, to authorial in tent and figuring out what that is but the reader i guess has the right to say well i I understand what the author intended to do but But i personally do not like big books (laughs) (laughs) i do not like big books and i cannot lie um yeah no that's right and so sometimes you know critics can can seem quite sort of uh, forbidding characters right because we put down these strictures that we should read books and try to understand them on their own terms but some people don't have don't have time for that right like it's okay not to take a book on its well is it okay not to take a book on its own terms is it okay to approach a book not like it and kind of nope out without even trying to figure out why? Um, I think that if you, for example, if you don't like big books, your criticism is going to come down to, I don't like big books and this was a big book. (laughs) A couple of months ago when we did a podcast with Abigail and we talked about negative reviews, um, one of the things that we did talk about was the idea that you can fundamentally disagree with with, with a certain kind of literary project with a certain style of book and still have valuable things to say about it and I think that's still true I'm not I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what we all said um, a few months ago but I think that there are times when um, if you know that you're not going to be able to to settle into a book you're not going to be able to give it the space to do what it's doing and judge it on that basis then it is probably a good idea if you don't read it because you're not necessarily going to have things to say about it that are honestly that valuable yeah obviously as commissioning reviews editors we make these kinds of decisions all the time about you know who would be best placed to write most usefully about a given given book and yeah, you're right. If there's a thousand page epic, we don't give that or shouldn't give that to someone that prefers novellas. Although sometimes I wonder 
is there a purpose to someone that doesn't like a particular type of book being asked to read it anyway? Is there value in understanding why you don't like a big book? Or is it just a fact of life and accept it and stop wasting your your time on them? I think it also depends on the critic, because if you feel that you've got legitimate if if you've got an argument for why you don't like this type of book um and you're willing to see whether this particular book falls foul of your um of your theory about how books like this work um and you're willing to give it the space to do that and it turns out that actually no this book has exactly the same problems as the rest of the genre i think that that's a valuable thing to say if it's something like i do not have the patience for long books or I do not have the time for long books then you know maybe that space could be given to someone else who might have slightly deeper things to say about it. Yes I think that's right and I I think what we're getting towards is the idea that a book is not just a, a text that must be approached and inspected it is a thing in the world our reactions to which are affected by other things that also exist in that world. Yeah, I mean, I can't, this is, and this is a um, thing that most people um, around me know because people keep recommending things to me and it goes wrong. Uh, I can't do long TV series. It's just not a thing I can do. I can't do that kind of sustained narrative over a long period of time. Um, And so anytime anyone recommends a tv series to me it's um that recommendation is not going anywhere i will i will hear you out and then i will not watch the thing for someone like me to decide oh i'm going to review i don't know succession i don't think anything of worth would come out of that i don't think i would have anything worthwhile to say except why is this still going Yeah, that makes sense. Just out of interest, like, because sometimes when a, and this is, this is germane to the discussion, because sometimes we don't know that a TV series is going to be long. So, because sometimes we start with the first episode and we like it, and then it just keeps getting commissioned for more seasons. And sometimes we start a book and we don't know that it's a big book or, or something else that we tend not to like. We just start it and we realize we don't like it. Do you, as the show gets longer and gets recommissioned for season 42 do you at some point say nope do you at some point say with the book nope or if we start a text without this contextual knowledge that we've said is so important to interpreting it do we somehow short circuit our own prejudices do we just keep persevering because we haven't been given the opportunity at first to say no um i'm not sure because I've definitely had the thing where I will read a book and um, I'll be thinking of it as a unit, right? It's a book. It had a plot. It did a thing. And my critical understanding of it is all in the context of it being this one thing. And then, surprise, it's a series. I think at that point, I tend to just be more if it's something I really like again if it's a question of um, I really trust this author or I am genuinely curious to see what they decided to do with this um, I will explore further I will read the second book but I don't think that the 
that the first reading of the book, the one where it was just a thing, necessarily becomes invalid. And I'm not necessarily going to um, let go of that reading to formulate a new one that encompasses the whole series, because I don't really think that there's necessarily a need to, unless, of course, the whole series ends up somehow magically hooking me into staying long enough. Has that ever happened? No. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I did think about was... um, So we talked about context as a way in, as something that maybe gives you the kind of tools that you need to um, to try and work out what a book is trying to do and whether what it's trying to do is worth doing. I think, though, that there's also a kind of potential disadvantage to having classified a book in its entirety before you start actually reading it and before you actually sit with it. I have several English literature degrees at this point, as we know. I I think sometimes, as much as I like having context for things, the ability to purely take a book on its own terms, to encounter it as if it was something completely strange and then try to meet it completely on its own terms, um, is something that I actually really miss. And it's something that... I don't think any of us has been able to do since the advent of the internet, (laughs) but um, it's particularly hard to do if context sort of takes over. And what this ends up doing is that thing where a reader, because they know what they're expecting from a book, um, ends up sort of projecting certain ideas and certain details onto it rather than seeing the text and taking the text for what it is and taking what's actually there and building from that. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to um, undermine a thing that we said. It's always worth doing. (laughs) I, I encourage all listeners to undermine things we say. So, yeah, take books on their own terms, except don't. Here to help. Um, I think that's the reality of reading books, though, right? That you're constantly balancing out those those two things. I think so. I think that there's there's the text, there's the thing in front of you that you're supposed to be having, hopefully, a relatively a relatively honest encounter with, and there's everything that you bring with you, both as a critic and as a person existing in the world who maybe has other things to do and has a day job and deadlines to meet and all of that. Yeah, I I think that's one of the themes that has emerged in this discussion, that we can't pretend that the text does not exist within a wider context or is not affected by other things we've read, other things we're doing, just other demands for our time. And yet at the same time, we need to treat it as a thing in itself and demand a certain integrity of it. So basically, criticism is impossible. See you next month on Critical Friends.
one thing that we've we've realized in the course of this discussion is that our next gift for each other sorted i'm gonna get you a box set of a 24 season uh tv series and <laughs> and you're gonna send me a novel that has dubious climate politics can you even get box sets anymore Do you... <laughs> is that still Look, a thing well I, I, for you i will make an exception i will find it <laughs> That's very sweet. Please don't. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Critical Friends, the Strange Horizons SFF criticism podcast. Our theme music is Dial Up by Lost Cosmonauts. You can hear more of their music at grandvalise.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp.com.